And good afternoon. It's 2 p.m. on the East Coast. It's 1800 on the UTC Coast. And in Piscataway, New Jersey, it's 445. Happy Sunday, everyone. Welcome to PFG Live. I expect our numbers, uh, our live numbers to be low today because it's actually pretty nice, at least on the East Coast, it's pretty nice. We do have some weather reports. Joel, Joel checks in, Joel L. checks in from uh, Chandler, Arizona and reports uh, it's only 101F and 26% relative humidity. And so far, they've had 30 consecutive days over 110 degrees. Yowza. Uh, Carl's checking in at 75 degrees and sunny in the Rhode Island. Welcome, Carl. Uh, let's see. We've got an, uh, some other check-ins from Discord. We've got uh, Proteum checking in from the Tucson, Arizona, 94. How, how pleasant. Uh, and 33% relative humidity. Uh, DBX is checking in. 73 degrees and sunny. Relative humidity, 54%. After three Triple H days in Rockland County, New York. And Brooklyn is checking in with Unix Carbide at 81 Fahrenheit, 41, uh, 45% relative humidity, and a beautiful day. Widgetworks is checking in. Welcome aboard, sir. Uh, 22 Celsius, 54% relative humidity in the Alberta of Canada. CJ Stevens, 89 Fahrenheit and cloudy in east, the very east of Tennessee. Flatlapper says 76 and sunny in the flatlands of northern Illinois. Welcome aboard, everyone. Nice to see you all. Uh, here in the New Hampshire, right now it's reporting 72 degrees. I don't have a relative humidity. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> I don't have the relative humidity. It's gorgeous out. Uh, seriously, it finally, uh, it finally broke and it is super nice out. Uh, Wes is here, 85 degrees in south central Idaho, heading to 95-ish. We'll take ish. Uh, not too bad. So I think that's everybody. I think I'm caught up. Am I caught up? I think I'm caught up. Uh, uh, oh, a new, a new uh, person. Cameron Steen from New Zealand reports... Six Celsius light showers in Auckland, New Zealand. Let me repeat that for you folks. If you don't think the earth has a tilt to it, six degrees Celsius light showers in Auckland, New Zealand. Thanks for being here. Uh, there's another uh, uh, buddy of yours down there that was going to check in. We always make him late for work. <laughs> That's Machine New Zealand, I think. And he was going to check in uh but he might have already wisely headed off to work. So uh, that's, that's good. Nice to have you here. Both sides of the globe are now represented. We can continue. Uh, gorgeous day. It was very inspiring. I got up, opened both uh, garage doors in the shop, and started to get to work. Warm, warmed up the grinder, uh, warmed up the uh, vertical machining center, uh, the printer is going in the basement. So we have three CNC machines going um, and already made parts. Uh, we made the balancing rings this morning already, although I have a story for you. 
and we just finished up a bevel, if my customer is listening, we just finished up a, a bevel on a stone. So we have two stones with two bevels, same order, uh, going out tomorrow morning. So you're in luck. That will get me caught up. Uh, mostly caught up. The spreadsheet is yelling at me, so um, there is more to do. But I'll tell you, when the weather broke and the doors opened, it was a totally different attitude. So that was utterly fantastic. So, uh, yeah, we broke some tools <laughs> a few days ago. So I was running, I was running balancing rings, and I go down and I look at my part. So on top of the part, if you're watching on the video, not required, there's a set screw on the periphery of the balancing ring. Of course, if you are watching on video, you will see the ugly spot uh, that is that is not supposed to look like that. And sitting in the middle of... Oh, there he is. Machine New Zealand has joined us. <laughs> Welcome. Now, I don't want to make you late today. I don't want to be responsible. But thanks for checking in, buddy. Uh, so I look in my... I look at the... The, the part sitting on the uh, expanding arbor, which is its, you know, G56, and and my my reverse chamfer tool is sitting in the hole. The broken end of my reverse chamfer tool is sitting in the hole. I said, okay, I got the message. I have work to do. Practical renaissance, the earliest you've been able to hop in. You did good. You're pretty much, I won't say you're, I'm not going to say you're on time, but you're closer than ever. That is true. So I broke uh, broke a couple of tools, and I know I know Dylan will uh, agree with me here. Protea Machining is is with us in the uh, Discord chat. That when you break a tool, you have to find out when you broke the tool, right? And so. I had to back up, you know, go through the process and say, is this tool okay? Is this tool okay? Is this tool okay? And here's what happened. The operator failed to correctly tighten. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to call on you in a second. The operator fa failed to, fairly, uh, to firmly tighten the, uh, the clamp on station three probably forgot to tighten it at all okay it's a miracle that the hole got in properly but when the back chamfer tool came in it was no bueno um and it broke i don't know how the uh there's a there's a tool which uh is a chamfer tool that does the top chamfer and then the the back chamfer tool drops in and does the bottom chamfer. And then the form tap comes in. Well, the form tap came in. I believe it found the remains of a tool or or the, uh, the ring, I think, based on the mark I see. The ring might have already tipped over. In any case, the form, the form tap snapped. So that's tool number two. Uh, and that's the last operation. So when I went to, I'm sorry, when the operator, <laughs> when the operator went to check on things, 
um, this is you know, this is what we found. So thankfully, it was Flat Lapper asks, "Is Operator Three still employed?" Um, after some counseling, after some heavy drinking of tea, in case you're not on the video, uh, Operator Three was re- allowed to remain, and uh, he's still uh, still employed. So we got that sorted out this morning. So uh, only two tools had to be replaced. The the bottom chamfer tool, which I will point out, they do not give away. Okay? And, uh, and the form tap, which is a little cheaper, but not not much. Uh, brand new ones went in and we're back on back in business. So that was the story. I was sort of uh, semi bummed about uh, about the situation, but it all worked out in the end. Um, so, but, uh, Proteum is uh, Dylan is here. You want to you want to chime in on uh, on broken tools? So well, let's see. I think you. I think you're. Uh, My audio you're speaker. You're you're here. Awesome. How are you? So I'm with, doing was well. I, was I giving you any PST, PTSD with my uh, broken tool story? Uh, I mean, I've definitely broke my fair share of tools. I mean, I posted, I don't know if you saw it this week, but I had a tool, my coolant burped or went low, and I was using one of those thread mills that mills the hole and the thread all in one, and so they push chips downward. Yep. And in aluminum, when you starve those kinds of tools, of coolant they lock up real quick and it pulled my part up out of the jaws into the tool wrecked the tool holder spindle's totally fine machine is totally fine but it was not a a cheap mistake let's just say that so yeah Yeah. i it's very high in mind this week i i I saw some of those uh those tools that do do everything all at once um and i was considering i you know gee i should think about it because i make a lot of threaded holes in this process um should i think about it they're slow but they're a you only have to set up one tool instead of three super nice and b if they break you just throw another one in there and you haven't scrapped apart so uh, we really like them for prototyping because you know it doesn't matter if it's aluminum or 50 rockwell stainless steel anywhere in there i can just throw it in same tool same tool path just different speeds and feeds gotcha well, I'll have to look into it, and if you have a link, you can shoot me one of these days. Not urgent. Um, I'd like to take a look at what you're using. What uh, size thread is it? Uh, this is a this is a quarter twenty. Okay, I, I actually have that uh, part number handy because that's the one I broke, so I, that's the one I had to reorder. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't mind getting one and doing a couple of tests with it. That'd be kind of fun. I have no I have no complaints. So when I do the balancing rings, I use a carbide. Um, a carbide drill with a 135 degree point. Um, I actually get it from Mary Tool. I had to do some research when I when I had this episode because I didn't have any spares. I didn't break it, but I didn't have any spares. And that tool, when you watch when you watch the uh, the the process of making the balancing rings, that tool looks like it's doing absolutely nothing when it drills the holes. It's just, it's doing its thing. You don't hear anything. You don't see anything 
holes just magically appear. It's like, did he just use a phaser to make that hole? <laughs> so I really love that tool. Um, and and go try to find that tool anywhere else. I had trouble. So I can't explain it, but uh, it sure was uh, sure. That's was what a, nice a tool. number one drill then? Uh, correct. A number one drill, 135 degree point. Um, I don't remember the helix angle on the on the twist drill, uh, and no coolant through. It's it's plain Jane. Uh, David O'Brien says, "Will there be a quote tap on the bottom close quote for the operator?" <laughs> no, we don't we don't do that sort of thing here. Tap on the bottom. Yeah. Uh, so that was the story. Thanks for checking in there, uh, Dylan. So Dylan, congratulations. You are the very first audio question or audio guest using our system here for PFG Live. So welcome. I'm honored. Thank you. Um, we've tried this before and failed for reasons which I don't think anybody understands, but now it's working. So uh, if you want to join in on the audio input, uh, you can be uh, on our Discord server. That's how, that's how it happens live so uh what else is going on with you uh dylan anything new on in your side of the world uh not too much we are searching for shop space we had some terrible storms this week which led to power being out in the shop most of friday and almost all of saturday wow which means i didn't have to work or was not allowed to work yesterday which was i guess a, a nice change <laughs> well uh yeah you actually get a weekend whatever that is yeah exactly um but no things are business as usual just making tons of parts and refining our processes and all that fun stuff great well one of our, one of our topics today which i guess we're we're in it so we might as well continue is um uh process reliability and and that was my story about process reliability for this week was this um you know the tool breakage and what I figured out was that the there had to be some sort of a protocol to make sure that everything was tight before you hit the green button. So I thought about it. I, I, I am still not sure what happened. In other words, I can't remember being distracted or whatever. But so here's here's what I came up with. I have th uh, three, four tools to get ready for the cycle i have a, a torque wrench a second torque wrench a uh allen uh, uh, a t-handle uh hex wrench allen wrench to tighten the uh the collet chuck that we're talking about and then a hammer uh you know a soft blow hammer um so what i do is i have the four tools lined up on the bench next to me and then as I, as I use each of the tools, I put it to the left in a different spot. So when I look down, I can see that all four of those tools were used. And that's, that's protocol number one. Protocol number two is take, take the fingies and go in and yank on each of the three stations to make sure it doesn't come out in my, in my hand. 
and then I'm then I close the door and I hit the green button and and all is well. I'm pretty sure if I used those two protocols, um, I wouldn't have had a broken tool, uh, a couple of broken tools, and I wouldn't have shut down my uh, my process. So that's sort of my thinking. Is is you know, you know, in, in aviation, it's all about checklists, and um, I used to use what's called a, f- a a flow checklist, which was a physically, you know, a, a, a checklist that had physical location and space so you start at the bottom left of the panel you'd come up you know sweep to the right sweep down and do things in that order and it was just easy to remember and that was that was another good way to do it so if you were watching on the um instagram live the random live i did this morning you'll see that i do have a printed checklist for the grinder and before i hit the green button I have to go through that checklist and just verify that I did everything. I'm pretty good about hitting everything before I even go to the checklist, which is why it's called a checklist. And that works really well. Uh, <laughs> K-Bonk says, I must have missed something. Are you the Noga deburring tool on the CNC? I hate to say it, but if there's a word I'm missing here after the word the, I can't quite see it because of the thing here. Yes, I am. Oh, am I using? Uh, I am not yet using it. That'll be after. Uh, that'll be before pack after CNC before packaging. So I bought uh, last week. I showed those really cool uh, Noga tools, um, and I have not started using them because that'll be just before packaging and uh, to to take care of that little tiny burr that's there. And, you know, I looked at it this morning as I'm pulling tools out of the machine, and I said to myself, you know, it it doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't affect operation. It's only bugging me. So I'll probably be doing it, but I'll be doing it just at at packaging. Have you looked into a Cogsdill deburring tool? No. You know what? That was the name I was trying to remember. Thank you. I'm writing it down right now. Uh, I actually want to look into that. Uh, what has been your experience? It worked pretty well. Uh, we used them at my last job for a few through holes similar to yours. And I mean, they're spring loaded, replaceable little tips. I think the only issue you might come across is I don't, you had mentioned, I think, last week or the week before that you don't have a ton of Z depth below the hole. And so, and you have to get it at least far enough past that the backside of the insert can get to the hole. So, you either have yeah. to build a hole or not use it. I guess. I I think I vaguely remember that. Um, I can put a hole below it. I might be able to do that, but I, I absolutely have to find these these things. I heard about them. They go in. You put them in rotating slow, and then you speed it up, and the, it pops out the cutter. Is that how it works? Uh, the Cogsdill ones, you just rotate, and they are spring-loaded. And so as they come down, it cuts the chamfer, and eventually the pressure is enough that it just retracts. And then on the way back, it's the same thing, where it keeps cutting the chamfer until there's too much Z-force, and it just pops back in and pulls out of the hole. I like it. I will be researching this. And if anybody else has any input on this Cogsdill, uh, let me know. Um 
let's see, almost says roller finishes by them are uber uh, cool. Yeah, uh, I, I vaguely remember that they make the uh, roller burnisher, burnishers. Is that? Am yeah. I, yeah. Those, and then they make a reamer called the Chef Cut Reamer, and that thing is pretty amazing as well. Uh, K-Bonk says Cogswell Cogs makes them LOL. Okay. Got it. I will look it up. That's the one I was I was thinking of, and I would not mind implementing that or finding out that I can't implement it, and at least I'll know how to use it. Cool. Thanks. Uh, so that was the that was the the uh, oh thank you. See the link is already in. If you're looking if you're looking on the screen, you'll see that uh, um, Dylan sent me the link on Discord. Oh, that was a Jetsons reference. Sorry. You, you got me on that particular fandom. Carl says, what about Spacely Sprockets? Oh, okay, now we're going down the Jetsons hole. <laughs> That's why I like you guys. Hey, you're allowed to do that. It's PFG Live. That sort of thing happens. Okay, Dylan, thanks for showing up, buddy. I appreciate it. Uh, he had to jump out. We knew that was going to happen. Uh, thanks for being here. And anybody else on Discord, if you have something to pop uh, pop into the conversation, just uh, push the magic uh, raise your hand button, and we'll get you in here. Um, so that was my uh, that was my process reliability issue for the VMC this week. Uh, on the positive side for the grinder. I showed on the Instagram random live this morning how I use uh, a traveler, which is a fancy name for a piece of paper or a packet of information that goes with the product down the production line. I print out the numbers I have to input into the grinder in order to do a bevel on my stones. So PFG stones which, by the way, are at uh, pfgstones.com. Where are they? Got to point this way? No, point this way. There it is. Uh, you can you can order bevels on the four inch, six inch, and eight inch stones, and because the stones, when they're ground, are not of uniform thickness, it's non-trivial to put a proper bevel on it. So what I do, it needs. I only need one number, and the number I need is the thickness of the stone. A after that, it's all geometry. So I took all the geometry, and I put it into a spreadsheet. And the spreadsheet does all the math to four decimal places, so we're calculating to tenths, and it spits out the numbers that I have to feed to my grinder program to, to execute the bevel. So if you if you want to see how that's done, uh, I did save the video to Instagram this morning uh, of the random live in which you see me going through this process. The but there's a there's another uh, part of of the process which is not obvious, which is in the spreadsheet. I actually take the magic numbers and I create. I create a uh, 
a portion of the spreadsheet that looks exactly like the grinder screen input so that when I print out the numbers that go, the traveler that goes with the stones that are going to get the bevel, I literally hold it up to the screen and I should see in that section of the screen exactly what I see on the piece of paper. I mean, literally in the same places, the same format and everything. So I make sure all the numbers are good. That little step right there was, is huge, very reliable, uh, very low probability of error. So I did that live this morning. You guys watched me uh, set up for a set of bevels. I have never shown setting up for and hitting the green button on grinding because for me, it's a little nerve-wracking. I got to get it exactly right. But it becomes less nerve-wracking when you develop a system that has all the checks and balances you need. And that's what that's what we got. So that went really well this morning, and that improved the uh, it improved the reliability of that process, and and it was uh, pretty straightforward. So I have another story. Uh, you may have noticed that I quietly released the balancing stands last night. Or <laughs> you may not have noticed, and this is your notification, that the BS-8 balancing stands are now available to order. Let me grab one. So, when we last met our heroes, I was showing you one of the prototypes. I don't know that I showed you the latest, well, the, the release version, but if you're watching the video, what's in my hand is the release version of the BS-8 balancing stand. The model number BS-8, which has a secret hidden message in the nomenclature. And if you stare at it long enough, it will tell you what the secret message is. So, these were coming out spectacularly well, except at the last minute, um, we discovered an issue, and that was that if you picked it up and the arbor was sitting in the, in the little V of the structure, it would fall out. <laughs> so I had to redesign the structure to put in a little feature so that it can't, it can't fall out. And it is a quality of life improvement that's just fantastic. So that was the last... Uh, piece of the puzzle. Now, I went through a little bit of struggle with pushing the button on making it orderable. And I decided to go ahead and, and do it. And the, the struggle was I wanted everything to be in place. I, I wanted videos to be in place. I wanted a product information sheet to be in place. And that stuff is not done yet. So it's somewhat done. There's some placeholders, but I, I've got a bunch of guys beating on my head to get the balancing stand. And so finally I had to release it from a, from a practical point of view, from a product, you know, the product's not going to change between now and two weeks from now. Uh, it's ready to go. So uh, if you want to order 
the BS-8. It is now ready. It's available in, in vermilion red or pine green. So somebody asked me um, how I chose the colors. So the, the pine green looks like it, it really is a callback to um, all of these magnificent machines that had these green finishes. I really like it. And when I first saw this green uh, in the bamboo tough PLA, which is what this is made out of, uh, I said, that's what we got to get. So that's the green. And then the red uh, is, a, is a callback to the red trays of the PFG stones. So they'll all match. And you get to choose when you order what color you want. There you go. When was the last time you bought a machine tool or some sort of precision tool and you got to choose the color? So they're available. And uh, they are coming off the printers uh, beautifully. So the uh, what does that have to do with process reliability? So when I print these out of tough PLA, literally, it's a seven-hour print. I hit the button, and I walk away. And I have had zero issues, okay? If I do the same thing with the trays or the lids, they're made out of PETG. So PETG is a shinier... Uh, it's a shinier filament. You'll see why that's important in a minute. It's a sticky, gooey filament that doesn't have as sharp a solidification curve uh, as, as PLA. So you could end up with issues with, you know, drooling out of the, out of the nozzle and that sort of thing. And it is an issue. I'd like to tell you that that issue is 100% solved. It's not. Every now and then, you get some sort of drool for some reason. That's also the the genesis of drying all the filament, right? This We've had this conversation for a couple of weeks in a row now. Uh, and keeping it dry, that has all to do with process reliability. So uh, it it's still not push the button and it's guaranteed to be perfect like the like the tough PLA is so th so it's, there's some issues so what I what I ended up doing this week is when I'm using uh, PETG I I turn off first layer inspection because the camera what they call the lidar right that's that's inspecting uh, it gets confused by the shininess, and it also gets confused, I think, by the contrast between the black lettering in the first layer, which I'm now using and love, and the the red of the of the trays. So between that and the shininess, uh, I have frequently gotten it to stop and say, "Hey, the first layer inspection is in question." And I've had to go down there and see it and then hit resume and keep going. That's not a reliable process. That's you, you can make the argument that it's overly conservative, but being overly conservative is also not terribly reliable. <laughs> so I had to uh, abandon 
first layer inspection on the bamboo uh, printer for the printer that's doing the work in PETG on the trays and the lids. I do not have to do that on the printer that is running Tough PLA. If anybody has any wisdom in this area, I am open to suggestions. I, I'd like to hear more about it. Um, from a from a, a reliability standpoint, in reality, it's been it's been great. It's been just fine. So these are the tweaks in the process. I'd love to tell you that you know it's always perfect, right? The bamboo is always perfect. It's not. I'm I'm fighting that little issue. Um, might be a stupid thought. Why is the arbor not a snap-in? Yeah, yeah. So we thought about that, K-Bonk. Uh, I thought about making it snap-in to the frame, and I just elected not to. Uh, in shipping, and I like the way you're thinking because you're thinking, okay, the arbor is going to be banging around in there during shipping. I've considered that the arbor will be appropriately packaged. Um, yes, there, there may be a way to do it where it's a snap in and that's how it ships, but I elected not to do that. So yeah, there's a few reasons for that. One was, um, designing the mechanism I actually started like mentally figuring out how to do the snap in version. It was starting to get complicated and the way we print them. We, we print them um, face down, right? So this, this face that you're, you're reading this, this glorious nomenclature on, this is, this is the first layer. So, so making that feature uh, that would be a snap-in, is it possible? Yes. Could I figure out how to do it in, in, in a reasonable time so people didn't lynch me so I could get this product released? No. <laughs> so... Yeah, considered it. It's not. It's not a crazy idea. Um, Unix Carbide says first layer inspection issue. If it's camera based, do they have different relative glossiness, particularly while cooling? Um, they do. They do have a different glossiness. The PETG is glossier than the PLA Tough. Absolutely yes. So that is an issue. Um, and I think one of the, one of the, you know, one of the error messages, it's not an error, but one of the messages I got from the bamboo, I think said something like, uh, I'm not doing good with shiny stuff. There was some, something about glossiness in one of the messages. I don't remember exactly um, where it was. Um, so I'm sure that's part of the equation. So I had to make a, I had to make a decision. Um, so, and frankly, I'm I'm reluctant to change from PETG on the trays and the lids, um, but I might get convinced about that as time goes on. And of course, one of the things that that are causing me to, you know, vote in the affirmative to switch is this particular issue. As soon as I switch it to the Tough PLA, it's going to be absolutely dead reliable. Um, 
if it's lidar based could it be some vicious viscous difference which leaves behind your layer um i not clear don't know don't know also their use of the term lidar kind of bugs me so <laughs> uh i have some homework to do to figure out exactly what that sensor is doing i'm not sure um lidar Im implies time based stuff and i don't think that's what it is so without uh dipping into the physics of how that thing is how the sensor works all i know is that it's not happy with the pla uh and i should say it's not that it's always not happy with the pla it's not happy on my prints that have two colors in the first layer with the PETG. Did I say PLA? With the PETG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Unix. I'm going to have to dig into that when I have some, like, sit in the chair and vegetate time, but I haven't done that yet. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad thing, um, but it sure did make me change my process so that it was um, to eliminate false positives, right? When you break a tool, that's kind of a negative or it's kind of a, it, it's a, we didn't sense anything wrong. So that's kind of a null error. When the thing says, I think there's a problem. I think there's a problem. I think there's a problem. That's a false positive. Well, that's not good for the process either. Uh, let's see. Could it be a lighting issue around the printer? Just a thought. Well, it's a good question because I'm not supplying any additional lighting. And I kind of want to because sometimes it's dark in there when you go to look and check for, you know, setting up for the next print. Um, so it's using its light source inside. I, I'm not doing anything weird. Um, yeah, uh, so K-Bonk points out that a lot of reviewers have been wondering about the LiDAR also. I I am going to, I'm suspecting that they are throwing, throwing around the term LiDAR a little bit inappropriately. It, is it optical? Yes. Is it using a laser? Quite possibly. Is it LiDAR? Yeah, I don't know. Have, I, have you tried turning the light off? Excellent idea, uh, DBX. Thank you. I have not tried turning the light off. It's a good thing to try. How about that? Thank you. I'm going to write that down for homework. Turn off light. Good idea. It'd be interesting if that was the solution. It'd be very interesting. So next, uh, next tray, I'm going to turn off the light. And I'm going to turn on first layer inspection. Thank you. Uh, Unix says, does the first layer squish look the same between filaments? Or is one more rough than the other? No, the first layer looks beautiful on, on both filaments. So that's certainly not an issue. Flatlapper says, what build plate are you using? I'm using the engineering plate for PETG as labeled, and I'm using the cool plate for PLA as labeled. 
Uh, Machine NZ is off to work on time. Woohoo! All right, take care, buddy. Uh, and uh, don't don't get too cold down there while we're cooking up here. Have a great work day, man. Um. So yeah, it's uh, it's it, it. The the first layers are coming out fine. It's just that inspection step that is giving me false positives. I like the light off idea, so we're going to try that. So let's see. Um, that was my process reliability story for uh, all three machines. I gave you a process reliability story on all three machines. And my, you know, this is sort of, once you have a process up and running, these are the things you start chasing. I got to make this a little more, a little better. I got to make this a little more reliable. I got to fix these false positives. I got to fix the fact that my operator screwed up. <laughs> so there you go. Carl says, if the shiny polymer is the problem, is it possible that ambient lighting is causing, uh, is confusing the measurements? So the, the top of the unit is glass, but the AMS is sitting on top of it, obfuscating about easily two-thirds of it. And it's tinted glass. There is an LED light above it, which you're making a good point. So I can intentionally cover the remaining portion of that glass top, and that's a good idea. Um, so I'm going to try that. Good, good idea, Carl. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Unix says, did the operator secure the vice before starting the print? <laughs> well, in the grand scheme of things, I would say that there was a vice secured at some time before the print was started. How's that, Your Honor? <laughs> now you just start in trouble. Oh, man. But this is how a one-man show operates, right? You're just running around uh, feeding the machines, and I think that's success. And this is why I have to have CNC machines, because the robots can run, and uh, we just keep them fed. Flat Lapper says, I know the textured PEI plate can have issues with the LiDAR. Yes, it can. And they know that, and they tell you about that. That's a good, that's good evidence that texture can be an issue. And that's why I'm thinking the PETG texture is causing an issue. Uh, Joel L. says, I've never had first layer PETG inspection issues with the X1C. Um, <laughs> so I appreciate that. And it might be the fact that I'm doing the two colors in the first layer that's causing it. Um, I think that's what's going on. I think the highest probability is that my use of black and red, black lettering in the red, uh, uh, surface, you know, not unlike, not unlike that first layer right on the on the bs on the bs8 um i think that's doing something so we're gonna have to try it so you've uh, i am unfamiliar with the wham bam plate i have heard about this uh second uh, i don't want to say you know non-bamboo plate I, i'm not using anything that isn't from bamboo 
Um, and Flat Lapper says, I have not had that issue on mine yet either. So it could be my, my black and red things are causing some confusion. But I have some good ideas to try. So uh, I got three of them, and that's probably enough. Uh, we have three uh, issues. Turn off the internal light, which would be interesting if that's the issue uh, or helps the issue. Turn off the b block, intentionally block the uh, LED light that might be coming in the top. I could see where if if there's pulsile uh, intensity changes in the in the LED light from the room, that could confuse a sensor. I can absolutely see that happening. And third, we could try and experiment uh, with a, an all red tray and then a tray with the black markings. And those are my three uh, things I've written down. Uh, Unix Carbide says, is the camera colorblind? No, the operator is colorblind. Moving on. He says, but actually heat in the chamber actually absolutely shifts color temperature of the, on the cheap cameras. Yeah, I don't think this is a camera issue. This is their so-called LiDAR issue, so I don't think that's it. Joel says the wham-bam plate is PEX and does have issues with PETG because it sticks too much. But I have done it so far without damage. So let me say something very controversial here because you just reminded me of it. If anybody wants all of my glue sticks from all of my bamboo shipments, you can have them. I have never used glue stick on any of my plates, period, full stop. I think I've mentioned that before, but it, you know, every build plate says use glue or you should use glue or here's when you use glue. I've never used it. And I'm having great results. So throw that out there. <laughs> Start trouble. Um, let's see. Oh, good. You're, Joel's with me. He says, I've never used glue stick either. Excellent. Um, I think it has its place, but not with a flexible sheet using normal materials, doing normal things. I think you don't need it. Uh, what else? I have a confession to make while we're on the topic. I did add a third bamboo printer this is the first public admission of it <laughs> so there is a third printer going uh kbank asks where are the prusas going okay so let me let me get that out of the way of the three prusas one of them was donated to the high school physics program where they use prusas they have a whole lineup of minis and uh, a smaller number of the mark threes Flat Lapper says, I only use glue when I have a problem. Dude, this is not the time where we bring up personal problems. Just saying. You have to, we'll talk later. Um, so one went to the high school. The second and third one I actually attempted to sell on Facebook Marketplace and in my, in my uh, Makerspace um, Slack server in our yard sale area. Uh, I put them up for $550 each, and I have failed to sell them. So I have since pulled both offers off of the market. I have a funny feeling I might feel better about just donating the next two to the high school physics program. So that 
right now, that's it looks like that's where it's going. That's where the Prusas are going. So they'll go to a good cause. Um, and that will leave me with my three bamboo X1Cs uh, as my print farm. Yeah, it's a write-off. <laughs> it, it's not just a write-off, I should point out. By the way, here's an interesting thing that happened. I put the Prusas up on Facebook Marketplace, and I got contacted by uh, one of the first robotics teams from another town, and uh, they solicited a donation, which, you know, all all else being equal, I actually probably would have bit, except for the fact that I, I had already identified the high school physics program at Wyndham High School um, as my target. And they have the world's best teacher there, uh, Pat Kaplow. I love him. He's awesome. And um, I think they're going to get two more. And they'll they'll use them. Those these things are running every time I go in there to visit. The printers are running. Students are are doing stuff. So that's the answer to that question. Um, yeah. So the third Prusa, the third uh, uh, bamboo is installed and working. So the setup right now is bamboo number one is running PETG and the subject of this discussion we're having. Bamboo number two is running PLA Tough, and it's basically been making BS8 uh, balancing stands to get up to some moderate uh, safety stock level. Uh, and bamboo number three is currently assigned to engineering for PLA models and, you know, that sort of thing. And that's a good, that's a good setup, and it's not like I have a ton of excess capacity. It's just right. So three printers have become three printers. They just changed their clothes. So um, getting these uh, the BS-8 out the door, okay, and into the hands of uh, customers includes packaging. So I started looking at how, to, how am I going to package this. The stones have been very, um, have been very easy to package. They're, they're a shape that lend themselves to being packaged pretty easily. But the, the balancing stand is kind of cubical uh, in space. Um, Kbonk is asking a question of the group. Has anyone run polypropylene or PP on the X1? Not that I know of, but somebody has. So I I needed a box. So here's a here, for example, is a 7x7x7 box uh, from Uline. And I have been looking at this, and I believe this is going to be the box that ships uh, the uh, BS-8. Now, this is a double wall box. With, they're tough as hell. I really like them. So this is gonna this is gonna protect it. But while I was trying to figure out what box to use, I went to McMaster Car and I said, "Gee, I want to try a seven by seven. I had a, an eight by eight by eight box." Uh, on hand but I didn't have anything 7x7x7 seven by seven by seven. And, I, and I suspected apparently correctly that that's where we were heading so I'm sitting in my comfy chair and I get on the app for McMaster they don't have a 7x7x7 seven by seven by seven. then I go to Uline now I have a Uline app so it turns out they have a chat button 
so I could chat with a customer service person. So I get on the chat and I basically tell them the story. I have a product. I'm trying to figure out how to ship it. These are the two sizes I'm interested in and, and I'm interested in the single wall and the double wall and somewhere in there is the solution, I think, for what I'm going to get. And this and it was Brenda. Thank you, Brenda. Brenda says to me, well, uh, this is the part numbers that you're interested in and I've shipped them to you. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, they're on the way. And I, and I got them. Uh, was it the next day? It was either the next day or the day after that. Super good service. Ap- absolutely world-class customer service from Uline. Thank you. Um, so that's it. That's the one I'm, I'm showing you. If you're watching the video, there it is. A 7x7x7 seven by seven by seven, uh, double wall box. It looks like what we're going to be shipping in. And I just have to figure out the packaging, or I should say the packing, uh, to make that happen. But I think it's going to work. I think it's going to work great. So, you know, you have to think about packing. You have to think about, um, as K-Bonk correctly pointed out, uh, wrapping up all the stuff that's going inside so it doesn't bounce around. The arbor is not going to be attached to anything, so it has to be properly secured. Um, also, I made a very important decision about how to do this because one of the one of the possibilities was to ship you all the bits and pieces and let you put it all together because it's not like it's rocket science. Uh, the only thing that we we have a, a heat pressed in threaded bushing that goes in for the for the uh, adjuster foot okay and that get that gets done here uh, and I have to press the screw into the nice uh, custom screw head look at that if you're watching the video you're probably drooling right now but um, so I those two things have to happen and then everything else can can be done with your hands so I was thinking why don't I ship all the, all the stuff and then you can like take out all the bits and pieces and put it all together and you know done. Mostly it was the it was the Thompson shafts the the rods because they come in their own packages. Well, here's the problem. There's two things that caused me to decide not to do that. One thing is the packages that the Thompson shafting comes in are full of oil like there's a lot of it in there which is great for keeping you know keeping it from corroding uh on the shelf but it the box i got from mcmaster car that contained my last shipment of these rods literally had an oil stain on the side (laughs) that's how much oil is in there like you know i don't want my customers to go through that so that was one thing the other thing is I want a chance to do QC on these things as we package them up, just like the stones. You know, when the stones get packaged up, they get cleaned, they get QC'd. Uh, by the way, if you if you if you don't know, QC stands for quality control. I think ninety nine percent of the people listening or watching know that. Um, so it's going to be put together, right? This is all going to be put together, and you're going to receive it just like this, and. In doing so, what you're going to know is that uh, my my expert assemblers and packagers have QC'd it, and and it, they will be checked out. 
So that's important. Even the even the arbor is going to come like this, right? That's a signal to you that we've checked this thing out and it's fine. Okay? So those were the decisions that got made on the BS8. And that's why I felt comfortable saying, let's get this thing out. You can order it. Uh, the, the videos and the additional documentation will follow. Yeah, K-Bonk says that I could save some money ordering directly from Thompson, saving money. Um, yeah, I'm probably not going to do that. I'm probably going to continue doing what I'm doing because the, the cost is not huge. Um, and I really trust the McMaster car. So that's my warehouse. If I go directly to Thompson, they're going to say, how many tons would you like? <laughs> or they're going to say, yeah, we, we sell them in, in, in hundreds. And you know what? I don't want that. I want McMaster car to say, oh, you need 15 shafts. They'll be on your doorstep in the morning, which is what happened. And that's what I want. So I don't think I'm going direct. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, in fact, with bamboo and the filament, I've started filling the pipeline, right? I now have set a safety stock for filament because I know if I order from bamboo, it's going to take a week under normal circumstances uh, to get it. Maybe a little less than a week, but I have to be careful that I don't run out of stuff. Uh, so it's, again, another balance between not inventorying a bunch of stuff and making sure I can get orders out quickly and accurately and have happy customers that like to buy me lunch. I said that I like to buy me lunch. I like sushi. So that's the, you know, that's the story. I'd rather have uh, happy customers than almost anything else. Well, I'm out of I'm out of stories for the week. That's what happened this week. Uh, you guys are awesome. Um, we will have we, we only had one guest from Discord checking in uh, with an audio with audio input, uh, but we'll have more going going forward. In fact, if any of you guys want to pipe up right now, you're welcome to do that. Um, I'm going to have a sip of tea while you think about it. And if anybody has, um, hey, almost, thank you very much. If anybody has any questions on other topics, you can bring them up. Unix says, do you have bandwidth for a dumb PFG question? Dude, there are no dumb questions. I know many have tried. <laughs> yes, I have bandwidth. Go, shoot your question onto the uh, onto the, your keyboard, and I will do my best to answer it. Okay, you're going to type. I will I will read your question to the masses and try to explain it. So, uh, what was lunch? <laughs> lunch today between the IG Live. So I did the Instagram random live, and then I had lunch, and then I ran upstairs. Uh, I had these smoked pork ribs that my wife did on our smoker, our Cuisinart smoker. And it was the last last two ribs, and they were so good. Words cannot describe them. And they, and they uh, microwave. You know, we, the, the, I microwaved them up, 
And they were just so good that if you put them on your forehead, your tongue would slap your brain silly. That's how good they were. Uh, let's see, Unix. Uh, what methods can PFG? What methods can PFG stones be safely used on aluminum? So you can use them on aluminum. You have to be a little careful. Aluminum is very, very gooey, and it wants to get into the pores and not come out. So amongst the tricks to using them on aluminum uh, include using some WD-40 um, on the stones. Usually we use them dry, okay? But that will help prevent some of this. Also, doing the, you know, scrub with... I, I like Dawn dishwashing soap and a, and a scrubber because you're not going to hurt anything. And uh, the second method you can use is... Um, some solvent and a scrubber and you can also use ultrasonics but I'd be I'd be a little cautious on that but basically don't overuse them on aluminum and then try to clean them you may run into trouble so I, I would use I would hit your surface your aluminum with some WD-40 and then use them on it and you'll you'll get mirror mirror results it's pretty impressive um, oh Widgetworks says I finally got my prepaid $50 brokerage and duty back after a 40 after 48 days from UPS, also known as useless parcel service, lost my package. Uh, break clean on the... St okay, so first of all, I'm sorry you had issues with UPS. I am always looking for ways to make the this shipping process smoother, and all your feedback is useful. Um, flat lapper said, oh, brake clean. Yeah, you could use brake clean. That's just another solvent. Uh, use caution, but sure. Flat lapper says, do you all think there may be interest in, la in lapping YouTube series on production lapping machines and process? Yes. Yes, there is interest. I have interest. Um, I would absolutely consume that. It's not off topic. We've done lapping stuff. By hand and people do ask me is there you know is there a way to mechanize lapping uh unix carbide gives a thumbs up to lapping uh you're going to get nothing but yeses on lapping we love lapping lapping is great we're going to lap it up <laughs> sorry um cool well we have reached the top of the hour and we're peeking over the edge and I want to thank everybody for being here. This was a great day. It started as a great day. It continues as a great day. You guys are awesome. Um, I know a lot of you were bugging me about the balancing stand. The BS8 is live on the store. Here's the secret shortcut. B-A-L dot G-G. That's B-A-L dot G-G. And that will take you to... Uh, the magic page, which I can't remember. I think it's the product information page, which is very light on content, but the, the, the button right to the ordering page is right there. So it'll get you there quickly. Uh, also, don't forget pfgstones.com or pfg.gg to order PFG stones. If you have any questions on any of these things, don't hesitate to ask. If you have any ideas on improving process reliability that we did not talk about today, especially in a small shop, Pass them along, and I will transmit them to the group. Carl, take care. Enjoy this gorgeous weather down in the RI. 
K-Bonk, have fun. Uh, CJ Stevens is checking out. You have a great week yourself, sir. Almost says, I don't recommend stoning aluminum. Neither do I, but it's going to happen. <laughs> I do have a secret improvement coming on PFG stones that might aid the aluminum process. Coming soon, uh, not ready for prime time. Idea on improving something LiDAR in the CNC to keep tabs on the operator. <laughs> Nothing can actually effectively keep tabs on this operator. DBX, thanks for checking in on Discord. It was great having you. Widgetworks, have an awesome Sunday. You guys are awesome. With that, uh, if you're on Discord, stick around. I'll be on Discord after this to uh, just to, you know, shoot the stuff flat lapper you're welcome thank you for being here with coffee and we'll see you guys next week on pfg live